Let's, let's come in together in unity. Father, as we come, the Bible says, if two agree on earth is touching anything, you'll do it. So we agree together. And Lord, we thank you tonight for such an open heaven and your presence here. We thank you that your precious Holy Spirit would move upon every one of us that's going to be hearing this word in any way. And by the Holy Spirit moving upon us, Lord, whether people are watching this, they're hearing this, maybe it's live, maybe it's a recording, and maybe they're driving down the road wherever they are. I thank you, Father, by the Spirit moving upon us to give us all good, fertile soil of hearts and minds and lives, that our minds will be locked in and not distracted by other things, but the Holy Spirit to help us just to get really focused on the Word of God, what God is saying to us, that by the Holy Spirit our eyes and ears are anointed to be eyes and ears of the Spirit. And Lord, I thank you for speaking through me everything that needs to be spoken, that it will be as living seeds of truth, the parable of the seed and the sower, that those seeds are sown in a good soil of people's hearts and minds and lives around the world. The wind of the Spirit's going to carry this everywhere it needs to go. I thank you, Lord, for the water of the Holy Spirit, just watering those seeds and cause them to take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains till Jesus comes. Lord, I thank you for it, <clears throat> and I thank you, Lord, for everything accomplished in and through this time in the Word that you will to be done. <clears throat> and Lord, as you speak through me, Lord, help me that everything will be said that needs to be said. And Lord, let there be a flow in this. I know as we talk about warfare, Jesus said the birds of the air try to steal the seed. So Lord, we submit unto God, resist the devil, we must flee. We bind anything right now. They would try to hinder this word from getting where it's supposed to, accomplishing what it's supposed to do. They would try to come against me. We bind it in Jesus' name. We command it to go right now, out. And Lord, I thank you for your angels clearing that out. And, Lord, everything will just flow tonight by the Holy Spirit. And we thank you for your word, and we bless you. And thank you for hearing our prayers. We believe it. We expect it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so I'm dealing with the sermon series now. He teaches my hands to war and fingers to fight. And remember that we just came out of paying the price for revival, and we dealt with that. We dealt with the deep prayer um, that brings revival. Then we kind of dovetail from that into like when the heavens are brassing over and we saw the major warfare that's going on against the church and against the lost to blind the minds of unbelievers, okay? So we see God's wanting revival. He's wanting a harvest, but there's got to be people paying the price. There's a major high-level warfare going on out there, and we get the victory through, through prayer and fasting, etc., and so we dealt with kind of that type of level of warfare in the world, but now I feel the Holy Spirit saying to me that I need to teach about kind of personal warfare. Because see, there's a level of warfare that individual people go through and church, churches go through, church-wide warfare. How many knows that there's a battleground against every serious church that is a threat to the devil's kingdom there is a, a level and an element there of warfare that they're going to face in their respective city, region. It's a territorial thing, but also individual people in your families. How many know that your, 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 your marriage and also your children, etc., there's a level of warfare there? And so I'm going to share some things tonight I feel like will really help you to get the victory in war, but it's, it may be a little different than what I usually preach on. I think it's been a while since I covered these subjects, and I feel like God's really wanting people to have a refresher here. But what you're going to find is, is there's a priestly aspect to our salvation. You guys know that we're a kingdom of priests, okay? And as a priesthood, there's an element there of praise and worship, prayer and intercession. And you're going to see tonight how that priestly dimension marries itself together with spiritual warfare, and it comes together so powerful. That's why God used David like he did. David did for spiritual warfare what Abraham did for faith, you know, and what Moses did through his life. David did for warfare, and David taught us a lot about warfare, but David was a man that um, not only was a warrior with the sword in hand, but he was a worshiper. And there was a very priestly aspect to David. So I want you to see that those two go together. They're not like there's over here, there's the priestly, and then 
there's warfare over here, and they're kind of not this. It's not like that. They actually blend together. We're called to be like priestly warriors, okay? I'm going to show you this tonight. In Psalm 144, verse 1, it says, Bless the Lord, my rock, who teaches my hands to war and my fingers to fight or for battle. And look at this, Isaiah 30, verses 32. It says, God said, Every blow of the rod of punishment, which the Lord will lay on him, the enemy, look at this, will be with the music of tambourines and lyres and in battles, brandishing weapons, he will fight for them. But in other words, every time God smites the enemy with his fist is to the sound of praise and worship. Did you see that? So there's something about this. And David, isn't it interesting? He teaches my hands to war and fingers to fight. Fingers to fight. I remember reading about David, how David would strum with his fingers the harp and evil spirit would leave Saul. You remember that? Isn't that interesting? He teaches my fingers to war. There was something about David strumming the harp that caused demonic spirits to back off. Did y'all catch that? There's something about praise and worship. But let me just tell you guys, if you can just look this way for a minute and hear my heart. I've been in church my whole life. I got away from God, and I came back later on, and God really touched me. I'm thankful for my parents praying for me. But I've grown up in church. I know, believe me, I know a lot about church. And probably one of the most contentious areas in most churches out there is with the worship. And there's a reason for that, because the devil knows the power of praise and worship. And the devil fights. Now here, because I'm the pastor, there's just freedom in worship, because that's the way it's going to be. But in a lot of churches, there's a lot of battleground there. I mean, it's, it's so ridiculous. You think to yourself... <clears throat> the Bible talks so clearly, and I'll get to this in this sermon, about, you know, dancing and about lifting hands and etc. But I mean, there's so many places out there that it's almost like there's something like a warfare against even just lifting your hand. Think about what I'm saying. That's how much the religious demonic spirits, and I hear what I'm saying, there's a whole class of demons that their whole function on planet Earth is religious demons, and their whole function is to worm their way into churches and to begin to maneuver against the religious crowd and all these pet doctrines, all these traditions of men, all these silly things that the body of Christ fights over that mean nothing, amounts to nothing. It's silly. There's places that are in so much bondage to religious demons that they really truly believe that it is actually sinful to even have musical instruments in their worship. You realize biblically how unscriptural that actually is, but yet to them, they, the demons of religion have twisted the scriptures and twisted it in their minds to where they think we're the ones unscriptural and they're the ones that are scriptural. You see, it's, these religious spirits distort things, bring confusion to people. And so this is a major battleground. And it gets from here in Dallas, there is some of that here, but the further east you go, the worse it gets. And I remember there was a powerful church in Far East Texas out there that I was a part of for a time. And this pastor, I mean to tell you that the battleground out there is worse in this area. As far as a religious spirit, it's even worse. We face some serious things here, but the religious spirit is strong out there, and he managed to keep a lot of freedom in his praise and worship. It's really powerful. So you know what the devil did? Sent in a Jezebel into that church. Got influence, and man, I tried to warn him for whatever reason he didn't heed it. Um, that Jezebel lady, she destroyed that church, ran hundreds of people. By the time she was done with it and left, he started over with a handful of people. Almost lost everybody had to start completely over again. You know what? Satan saw the powerful praise and worship in that church and their effectiveness. And he sent in an attack to infiltrate in that church. I saw him years later and went in and talked to him. And uh, he was just really sad about all that happened. But he was determined to rebuild. So I want you to hear that story because I want you to realize there is a battle against praise and worship. By all accounts, 
Lucifer himself is a fallen cherub. He's of that order of the cherubim. He, that was the type of angel he was. But by all accounts, it seems that he led worship in heaven, and it, it, at least he was involved in it, deeply involved in it, because tabrets and pipes were formed within him. But probably he was the worship leader. So don't you know that he knows how powerful praise and worship is? Don't you know that that is one of the things he's going to try to stifle in your life? Y'all hear me tonight? And so when the Bible talks about going to war, the nation of Israel, when they were in the wilderness, they had to encamp around the, the tabernacle. It's called the Mishkan in Hebrew. It's around that tent where the Holy of Holies was in the holy place. They encamped around it. It was in the center. And whenever they, it was time for them to, the glory would lift up and begin to move. And Moses and them saw it, and they would begin to blast the shofar, and it was time to go. The very first tribe that packed up and went first was always Judah. And also, they were the first into battle. Why? Because Judah means praise. So there's something about praise. And I remember in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, it was kind of a famous passage there, where King Jehoshaphat was really concerned because these uh, various militaries had come together of various nations, and they were coming up against him. And, and quite honestly, in the natural, he didn't really stand a chance. Multiple military forces aligned themselves coming against him. He was very scared, but the prophet of God told him, said, don't worry about it. The battle is the Lord's. And he knew by the spirit descent, he knew the battle was spiritual. Listen, Jehoshaphat felt to send the praisers in first. And so he sends these priests in to battle that are marching in the front with their little tambourines and they're, they're singing their songs and dancing, give thanks to the Lord. He is good. His love endures forever. They're praising God with all their heart. You realize how ridiculous and foolish that would have looked to the enemy. I mean, what good is somebody singing a little song going to do except that Joseph had knew it was a spiritual battle and he was fighting it spiritually. And as they began to praise and they marched forward with the praisers, the Bible says when they got to the battleground, they topped a hill and they looked down and God himself had gone before them. God had caused them to be confused and turn against each other. And all there was was just a sea of dead bodies. God had slaughtered the enemy in their praise. Isn't that awesome? It reminds me of Isaiah 30, verse 32. Every blow of the rod of punishment, every time God strikes the enemy, it will be to the sound of music, praise. So there's a great uh, victory in war that takes place at praise. And the Bible says in Psalm 149, verse 6, the high praises of God shall be in their mouths and a two-edged sword in their hands. Now let me just kind of, I'm going to maneuver around and then bring it all together. But I wanted to say this, it's interesting to me that in the scripture, we can have as much of the Lord as we want. Did you know that? The way is made for us through the blood of Jesus. We can have as much of the Lord as we really want. If people are really humble and they're really hungry and they begin to really press in, they can have as much of the Lord as they want. And so we need to begin to ask ourselves, how hungry are we? Have we lost our hunger? Think about that. Have we lost our hunger? And I'm going to give you a few things to think about because this has to do with praise and worship, and it'll make more sense at the end. But do you remember the story when Jesus, the 10 lepers were there? They would have had to have been off at a distance, but the 10 lepers were there, and they were, they were wanting mercy, and Jesus healed them. He said, go show yourself to the priest. But there was only one that returned to thank him. You remember that story? Isn't it interesting, because we always focus on the, the, the one that came back to thank him as a thankful, okay? We always focus on the thankfulness, and that's true. But I have seen this, and I agree with this statement I'm about to make and what I see here. Down through the years, I believe River of Life is kind of an exception to the rule but I've been in church my whole life, and I think a lot of times, a lot of the church people out there that I've seen through the years, it's sad, but most people out there, <clears throat> they, they love the Lord at a distance. 
and they really just want him for what he can do for them. These lepers had leprosy. They needed to be healed. That's what they wanted. When they got what they wanted, they went on their merry way. It's really a small minority that love the Lord beyond that and want to come back and spend time with him. Does this make sense? A lot of people out there just love the Lord on their terms. They want the Lord on their terms. They, they want him just to do for them what they want him to do. And that's enough for them. But there's a small remnant that they're thankful for what God's done for them, but they really want to know him and spend time with him and have a relationship. And I think about, isn't it interesting, because I'm talking about tonight a, a religious spirit. I believe when you're dealing with praise and worship, the great enemy of praise and worship, and please hear me in this, is a religious spirit. And let me tell you, a religious spirit is no joke. It is a serious weapon of war from Satan's kingdom. The goal of a religious spirit is to attack a Christian or a church and render them ineffective. And I don't have time to get too much into that. But I want you to see something here among these people. Do you remember the story where there was these, these individuals out there in the land of Israel that were herding pigs? Now, they shouldn't have been doing that in the first place because it wasn't under the law of Moses, but that yet they were. And Jesus goes out there, and there's a man out there. Actually, if you read all of the, the synoptic gospels, there was more than one. But there was an individual out there that we know the story, had a legion of demons, okay? And the people couldn't even bind him, hardly. He'd break chains. He lived out in the tombs. He ran around naked. He was crazy, demon-possessed. Now, Jesus goes out there and performs an incredible miracle, cast out of this guy a legion of demons and allows them to go into the pigs and drown the pigs, which should not have been there anyway. Okay, so Jesus was solving a whole nother problem right there. So this is a great miracle right there for everybody to see. Here's this guy that they all knew. He's in his right mind clothed. Major miracle. But have you ever read how the pig herders and the people of that region came up to Jesus and said, would you please leave? Have you ever read that? They wanted him to leave. They didn't like that. And I can't help but think about there was a time that my wife, there was a lady that come out of Satanism, the occult that got saved. She brought her to church and she got delivered from demon spirits. And the people all went out in the foyer, didn't like it. When the pastor came back, they said to him, we don't want that in this church. They're like the pig herders. They want their little religion, but they want Jesus afar off. They want what he can do in what their comfort zone. They don't want Jesus to really be Jesus. You see, Jesus will come in and he'll wreck all your religion. He'll really change your life. He'll convict your sin. He'll cast out the demons. He'll heal the sick. And a lot of people don't want the real Jesus. They want their little religious version of Jesus. And when the real Jesus comes, they don't like it and they want him to leave. And I tell you, the greatest enemy to Jesus in his ministry was not the sinners. The sinners seemed to be okay with him, and many of them loved him. It wasn't the sinners that were a great enemy to the Lord. You know this because you've read the Bible. Who was Jesus' greatest enemies? The Sadducees and the Pharisees. The Sadducees were the descendants of Aaron. The Pharisees were other tribes, but they were religious leaders. They were the religious crowd. They had a strong religious spirit. If you want to know what a religious spirit actually looks like, read about the Pharisees, how um, prideful they were about their own religion, how they were stuck in their rules and their traditions the way it was supposed to be. And Jesus came up against that strong religious spirit, very legalistic, and that was the great enemy. As a matter of fact, it was the religious spirit that used the Pharisees and the Sadducees that really, if you think about it, that was how, now God permitted it, and it was God's ultimate plan, but that was really, truly what put Jesus on the cross 
was a religious spirit. Think about that. The religious spirit hates the true Jesus and hate you know what Jesus means you know what Christ means rather you know Jesus means salvation but Christ is it comes from a word in Greek that means the anointed one and it's counter in Hebrew is Mashiach which means the same thing the anoint you know what a religious spirit hates the anointing <laughs> so let me just move on here I'll share a couple more things I'm gonna dovetail this into praise and worship I need to move on, though. Matthew 12, 22, I'm talking about a religious spirit. Look at this story. So there was a demon-possessed man. I'm just going to read Matthew 12, 22. A demon-possessed man who was blind and unable to speak, so he was blind and mute. He was brought to Jesus who healed him so that those he was able to both speak and uh, could see. And the crowds were amazed, saying, this man cannot be the son of David, can he? But look at this. The Pharisees heard this, and they said, this man cast out demons. Please catch this. Don't let this just go over your head tonight. He cast out demons by Beelzebub. They were saying, in essence, that Jesus was operating under witchcraft and demon spirits. Basically, he was like a sorcerer or a medicine man or some kind of witch doctor. He was a male witch. They were saying that that's what he was like Simon the sorcerer, the Pharisees. And then they go on to say, he's casting out demons only by bills above the ruler of demons. And knowing their thoughts, Jesus said, look, every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste. No city or house divided against itself can stand. If Satan is casting out Satan... He has become divided against himself. How then shall his kingdom stand? If Beelzebub cast out demons, whom do your sons cast him out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But look at what Jesus said. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, then the kingdom of God has come, up, come to you. Or how can anyone uh, enter a strong man's house unless, and carry off his property unless he first binds the strong man? So we're learning about the importance here. This is a rabbit trail but you've got to bind the strong man first before you deal with his underlings, okay? And then he will plunder his house. The one who is not with me is against me. The one who does not gather with me scatters. Therefore, I say every sin and every blasphemy shall be forgiven people, but the blasphemy of the Spirit shall not be forgiven. And Jesus explains this so plain as a man can speak. Whoever, he explains it right here. Whoever speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit shall not be forgiven, either in this age or the age to come. So a religious spirit will cause people to call God's anointed servants like sorcerers or those that are operating by demonic spirits, just like they did Jesus. That's why they look at every revival, every anointed leader, everybody out there, they're either a religious spirit, either has them labeled as a false prophet, a false teacher, or some kind of person operating in witchcraft, every one of them. And a religious spirit then will cause them to say that the anointing of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is actually a demon. And what they're doing is demonic. It will look at the power of God, people falling, shaking, crying, the gifts, and it will point at that and say that is demonic, that is satanic, and they'll call the Holy Spirit a demon. How is it any different that you see, that please hear me tonight, when we look out today over the landscape of the body of Christ, there are people that are religious Pharisees and Sadducees of today, they're critics. They look at every anointed minister with great criticism, great criticism. And instead of just leaving them alone, they can't do that. They got to write blogs. They got to get up and make videos. They're, they're the enemy to God's anointed ones. And not only that, but they call every move of God, every revival demonic and satanic, and it's the work of demons every time. Basically, they are the spiritual sons and daughters of the Sadducees and Pharisees doing the exact same thing that the Sadducees and Pharisees did here. Does everybody see that? And so let me just warn you, though. I know that there's baby Christians that always, the devil always tells baby Christians that they blaspheme the Spirit. Everybody's got to, I guess, go through that. But anyway, if that's the case, you wouldn't be here, you wouldn't be listening to this. Trust me, you'd be off in sin somewhere. 
But the blasphemy of the Spirit is spelled out here as plain as a man can speak. It's not that you reject the gospel. You have to butcher the scriptures here. No, this is where people are speaking against the Holy Spirit. They're calling God's anointed servants some kind of a witch or whatever. They're calling the Holy Spirit a demon, and they're calling the works of the Holy Spirit demonic, okay? Now, I'm showing you a religious spirit. And now the Bible says, now let me shift gears again and bring it all together. Now this, I'm going to talk about faith for a second. Mark 11, 20. In the morning as they went along, they saw the fig tree withered from the roots. Remember, Jesus cursed the fig tree. And Peter, remember, can you put that on schedule for me, please? So Peter remembered that Jesus said, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed has withered. And Jesus said, have faith in God. Truly, I tell you, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will happen. I want you to notice here it says he believes in his heart once, but he speaks. He says, I tell you the truth, if anyone says to this mountain, go throw yourself in the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes what he says will happen. So the speaking part is twice here in the believing part once. You believe in your heart, but you have to speak it. And I remember Kenneth Hagin pointing out, you believe in your heart, but he said, you're going to have to say it as twice as much as you believe it. And that's true. You're going to have to speak to the mountain, okay? Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. When you stand praying, make sure things are right with God. It says, if you hold anything against somebody, forgive them, so your Father may forgive your sins. So here it deals with forgiving others and being forgiven, so you're right with God. But listen, believing in your heart and speaking out the Word of God. If you believe and you speak to the mountain, the mountain will move. So there's a believing and there's a speaking. Now, I want you to see this because this is all going to come together here at the end. So we see that praise and worship, praise is a great weapon, but we also see the great enemy of praise and the great enemy of the move of God in general is a religious spirit. Now we see the importance of having faith within and what comes out of our mouth. Now, let me show you something. There's a dimension here of taking authority over the mountain. Okay, we have authority to tread upon snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Many times, our battleground is demonic. Many times. And I remember hearing Bill Hammond say this so true. He said, how many of you guys, there's a group of us there, ministers, he said, how many of you guys believe in healing? And we all raise our hands. How many of you believe that it's in the atonement, it's God's will, and you really believe in healing? You pray for the sick. Everybody raised their hands. He said, well, let me tell you. He said, whatever is blocking the healing, you need to discern that and get it cleared away so that the healing can manifest. You see, there's many times there is a blockage. Could be unforgiveness, could be sins, could be something generational, could be something that's undealt with in the individual. I don't, there's so many different things it could be. But let me tell you this, it also can be a hindering spirit like a spirit of infirmity or a spirit of death. Now, the spirit of death will come in such a way that will squeeze the life out, some incurable disease that leads to death, etc. It's a spirit of death. But a spirit of infirmity simply can cause pain and chronic things, things that should heal, won't heal. People go from one little sickness to the next. It's frustrating. That is infirmity. And we've got to believe in our heart and speak out and bind that thing and get it driven out. Then the healing will come, you see. And when Benny Baker was here, I think you guys will remember, that was his sermon. Remember? The woman that was bent over, should not this daughter of Abraham be healed on the Sabbath? And she had a spirit of infirmity. And he was talking about that. See, there's a dimension here. Kenneth Hagin used to teach, if you're praying about something, whatever it is, it might be healing, could be something else. If you're praying about something and it's just not happening over a period of time, he said, I've had that happen, Kenneth Hagin said, and he said, I had to ask God, where am I missing it? And God showed him, and then once he dealt with that, then the answer prayer came. You see, many times 
many times, revelation is connected to the breakthrough. You need to know, okay, Lord, we've prayed about this. We know it's your will. Why is this thing, why is this mountain not moving? And God will say, well, here's why. And he'll show you, but you've got to pray. That's why it's so important that we develop a prayer life and develop the ability to hear from God for ourselves because there's going to be times where we've got to get a word from God about something like that. And we begin to take authority over the mountain. In the name of Jesus, I bind this, it will move. Now, secondly, there's a dimension that's different than authority, and this is the realm of faith confessions. This is where you're speaking the word of God over the mountain. Is everybody hearing me? So there's three different things. Number one, we take authority over the enemy, and over the mountain, we command it to be bound and leave in Jesus' name because it's a spiritual battle. But then there's also a dimension totally different that's faith confessions. And I remember seeing so many people through the years, and I hear testimonies. And, and let me give you some examples. On the 700 Club, they usually have testimonies of healing. And many times, I've heard these people that have been healed. And I listen to what they say, and most of them will say something like this. They'll say, I knew the Lord was doing it. I knew, I knew it was happening. I knew God was doing it. And they said, every day I would speak out loud. I will live and not die and declare the works of God. By his stripes, I am healed. He carried my sicknesses and diseases upon himself. He is sending his word to heal me. He will deliver. And they would just quote, and you could tell that they did say it every day because they would rattle it off really fast. It was in their heart. They're speaking the word. And you know what? Here they are. Now, on the other side, the mountain in their life was thrown into the sea. Now they got the victory. And you know what? They believed in their heart, and they kept speaking that over their life every day. And eventually, the mountain moved. There's something about taking authority. There's also something about speaking the word of God over your mountain every day. Consistency about it. And let me tell you, it may not move quickly. You're going to have to keep speaking the word. And let God lead you about what scriptures, because in your case, there may be certain scriptures that are applicable to that situation, that God will put on your heart those specific scriptures to speak. All right, and then finally, there's a third dimension that's totally different than this. So you have taking authority is one thing, then you have speaking the word of God is a totally different thing, and now this is also completely different. This is not faith confessions. This is now in the dimension of speaking blessings. There is a power about speaking blessings, but it takes faith, and I don't have time to teach on it, but you guys are familiar with this. Speaking blessings or speaking curses, we've got to speak blessings, okay? Now, let me bring it all together. <clears throat> when we're dealing with spiritual warfare on an individual basis, Everybody in Christianity, everybody is going to face times where you're going to deal with some warfare, whether it be against your health, whether it be against you financially. How many have felt there have been times that the devil's kingdom really tried to attack your finances? I have felt that. How many have felt there's times that the devil's kingdom really tried to attack your health? How many have felt there's times that the devil's kingdom really attacked your, you mentally or emotionally? How many have felt that there's times that the devil's kingdom tried to attack you in the workplace and cause crazy stuff to start happening? Or attack your marriage and your family and try to cause strife? So we all have faced spiritual warfare, and I'm just going to deal with some things tonight that, you know, I may need to continue this for a while until we cover a lot of different subjects, but I'm mainly dealing with praise. There's an element here where you discern the spirit that's behind it and you take authority and bind that thing. Don't forget that because that's very important. But I'm dealing here with praise. Let me show you something. Many will be surprised on the other side of this life just how much bondage to, an, to the enemy through a religious spirit they were really in. <clears throat> I remember Brother Ralph was with me. It was so funny. He grew up also in church, but... 
he got away from God in his youth and was on drugs and it was in the party scene and all that. But then he got saved later on and got right with God and he was in revival for a while. But he said as he got into revival, specifically at Brownsville, he said at first it was kind of funny. He was telling me that he would see different things that all of a sudden it was like he had such an inner struggle with certain things. He would see somebody maybe dancing and really being free in their praise and it just bothered him. And then he began to ask himself, well, why does that bother me? And he would say, Lord, forgive me, because I know that's not... See, that was a religious, spiritual influence there. And then there would be something... He was telling me through all this different journey of all these different things that the religious spirit had in his life that God had to systematically remove all that. Because he, then he would have a problem with this. Then he would have a problem with people laughing in the spirit or have a problem with somebody doing this or whatever. And God had to deliver him from that. I remember during the days of Brownsville, Steve Hill said many times the greatest deliverance that they saw at the Brownsville revival was the deliverance of a critical spirit. Let me tell you, a critical spirit is connected to a religious spirit. And a critical spirit will operate in different ways. And one of the ways a critical spirit will operate is by causing such a negative view of other people in your mind. Even as an anointed minister, I've known down through the years, I mean, it's people that don't even know me, and I, who could, I couldn't care less about a lot of people's thoughts, but there's people, even some, that have known my wife and I, that it was so obvious that something jumped on them, and there was such an unrighteous judgment and demonic criticism that really began to overtake their thought processes where they couldn't even see straight anymore. I mean, just a normal view of us was now so distorted. Everything was so negative and so critical. You know what that is? That's a demonic influence in their mind. Now, they yielded to it. As a Christian, we have authority over these things. But I refuse to sit up here and look at all these anointed men and women of God and allow myself to get some kind of a critical, negative spirit about them that is so just, I mean, the word would be critical, judgmental, just a hatefulness. I, it's pervasive out there. But I'm not going to allow that in my life. <clears throat> but also all these spiritual prejudices, think about it. Certain people will go to the grave and then when they stand before the Lord, they will realize how much of a religious spirit literally ruined their Christian walk and their effectiveness. There were so many spiritual prejudices that they had against others. I couldn't care less tonight if somebody came in here that has some kind of a background, whether it be Church of Christ, Pentecostal, Baptist, whatever label, who cares about any of that? I don't have any spiritual prejudices against other people of other groups. As a matter of fact, I chose by choice to be non-denominational. But there's all these spiritual prejudices there's denominational pet doctrines. And when you, when you start putting your finger on that, you'll see that religious spirit manifest. You can get around certain groups of denominational people, and then you begin to preach on something that their denomination doesn't like. It may be 100% scriptural, but you begin to put your finger on that, and it will begin to manifest. That religious spirit will manifest in that group. And they'll come after you. And not only denominational pet doctrines, but traditions of men. Jesus dealt with that. I mean, do you remember the statements like the, how he rebuked the Pharisees? But he said, you render the word of God null in effect by your own traditions. He dealt with that religious spirit. And so there's so many groups of people that they have their pet doctrines, they have their traditions and their religious prejudices, that it has to be this way. And when something goes outside of their comfort zone, outside of their box, they begin to really come after it like an enemy and persecute. And it may be 100% the Lord. I think one of my wife's greatest strengths of all things, and she probably doesn't even know what I'm talking about in this, to be honest, is that she did not grow up in church and she was not 
in any way whatsoever religious. She did not have religious prejudices and traditions of men and doctrines of devils. None of that was there. She simply accepted the Lord later in life and just read the Bible and just believed it. I think that's one of her greatest strengths. Sometimes I've had to explain, because she doesn't understand sometimes, well, what is their problem? I said, well, let me tell you. Because, <laughs> you know, when you, just, when you just read the Bible, think about it. There was a, there was a missionary one time that ended up in some village that, that a, a previous missionary had won some of the leaders to the Lord and left them a Bible, and they had to go and said, simply read it, believe it, put it into practice. This other guy comes in, and they, they were praying for the sick, and they were being healed. They were seeing the gifts. They were seeing like a pure, and he said, what's going on? And they said, well, this missionary just came in, and we accepted Jesus. He gave us this Bible. He said, read it and believe it. We just read it, and we believe what it says. And you know what? The demons were fleeing. The sick were being healed. The power of God, they they were seeing biblical Christianity. Why? Because there was no religious Pharisee there to tell them, well, now, and shut down the revival and try to morph them into their image of their little dead, dry religion box and ruin the move of God. That wasn't there. When you take just somebody like my wife is a clean, just give them a Bible, say, read it and believe it. Religious spirits have a form of godliness, but deny the power of God. Let me tell you, did you know in the end times, the Bible says that they would be all these things. Remember, there'd be perilous times, and it gives this description of all this I mean, it's like the moral values, the, the moral compass of humanity is just circling the toilet bowl, going down, down. You can read it. But isn't it interesting, at the end of that description, it says that there would be people that would have a form of godliness, but they would deny the power thereof. You know what that is? That's religious people. They have a form of godliness, but they don't know, really know the Lord, and they certainly don't know his power. It was funny because the religious Sadducees one time came to Jesus, and they were trying to trick him, and they were asking him these questions, and Jesus' response to them was so classic. He says, here's your problem. You do not know the power of God, and you don't know the word of God. These people that are religious, some of these religious critics, they are very, very proud. I mean, there's a strong pride about these people. False humility. But at the same time, they act like they're just great, brilliant minds of the Word of God, but they really don't know the Word. They only know a distorted religious demon's view of the Word that that spirit wants them to have, but they really don't know the Word, really. And they also don't know the power of God. And it's interesting, I remember... You know, I love Derek Prince's ministry. And Brother Derek had such an authority and a power in his life over deliverance and curses. And there was many people healed, many people delivered. But Derek himself would talk about his past. And I'm saying this as I kind of close this out and bring it all together. But Derek talked about his past. He was a student at Oxford, if I remember right. Brilliant mind. He knew because of his Ivy League education, he knew Greek fluently. And so when he read the Bible, he could read it in the original Greek and, you know, take away some things the average person wouldn't. And he was, you know, just a really, a, a very studied person, somebody that really knew the meat of the word, knew the depth of the word, brilliant in the word. But yet he walked in the demonstration of the Spirit's power, okay? And he talked about his journey because his story he had a powerful testimony when he was in the military, and he got saved in the military. He got baptized in the Holy Spirit in his barrack by himself, fell on the ground, laughing hysterically. I mean, the Holy Spirit just filled him. And I remember, this is long before there was ever any type of 90s revivals where you hear about Rodney Howard Brown or anything like this. This was back in like the 40s. He was baptized in the Holy Ghost. At, and I remember in one of his meetings, he was leading people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he stands there like he did. He's this British man. 
He's just standing there praying, you know, real like, but the power of God is just sweeping through people crying, people speaking in tongues. And one lady laughing hysterically, and he's just smiling and going, I'm jealous. I've had that before. God, do it in me, you know, and this lady was getting powerfully touched. But one of the things he warned about, <clears throat> he said during his journey, he was pursuing spirituality. He was an Anglican, and as an Anglican, it was just dead religion. He knew about Jesus, but he certainly didn't know him. And he began to pursue spirituality, and he got into New Age. And as he got into New Age, he, in that is yoga, okay? So he got into yoga. And he ended up picking up a demonic spirit through yoga. And he said that after he accepted Jesus as a Savior, now he's born again, now he belongs to the Lord. And he began to renounce any of his past, and he said that he was in this prayer meeting, and all of a sudden... He said this the demonic spirit came out of him and left him, and it, it came in through yoga. God delivered him from it. And so he went around warning people about these things, and here's a statement he made. I want everybody to please hear this because this is very appropriate for what I'm about to read. He said that just as God has scriptural postures and positions of our body, like lifting hands to God, etc., he said the devil has these counterfeit things in yoga. And he said that the postures that are in yoga are connected to the demonic spirits that go back to Hinduism. That's where it came from. That's its origin. That is what it is. And he said those postures are certainly not to the God of the Bible. And he said, I wonder what those various postures are drawing to you and welcoming in you as you practice them. And I think about the lotus position with the cross leg and the hands out like this, you know, and what is that inviting? Because that's not a scriptural thing here, you see. There's different contorted postures. And I mean, I don't want to get into it. It's a rabbit trail, but you can look it up for yourself that these postures have to do with the demonic spirits that are worshiped in Hinduism. And even as people are blanking out their minds the Bible talks about meditating, but it's, your mind is active. It's meditating on the scriptures. Satan's counterfeit to that meditation is blanking out your mind and kind of going unconscious. I wonder as people do that, whether it be through yoga or whether it be through transcendental meditation where they stare at something like a flame and they're trying to chant something and blank out their mind, or they undergo various hypnosis I wonder, as you blink out your mind, what exactly are you opening yourself up to to enter you? We're supposed to have our minds active on the word, not passive, blanked out, and becoming vulnerable like that, you see. So he warned about all this, and I remember him talking about it for years. And he, everywhere he went, he would warn people, stay away from that yoga stuff. I see it trying to come into the body of Christ. I'm telling you, Derek, would, I'm telling you from experience, God delivered me from a demon spirit that came in through yoga. He warned everybody, but yet, even though he warned, look at all the goofy stuff that's going on out there. Among professing Christians. So anyway, here's where I wanted to go with this. Praise. I'm just going to read through this and give you a few things. Did you know there's seven Hebrew words for praise, and then there's also a couple Hebrew words for worship? And I'm going to give them to you, and I want you to see this. There's a word called yada in Hebrew, and it means to extend the hand. Now, y'all, please look this way. I want you to really get this, because I believe that of all the spiritual battles that you're going to face, don't be surprised if Satan wants to steal your praise. Did you used to be more of a praiser? And some, you went through some warfare, something beat you down, and now your praise is still not where it used to be. You see, the enemy wants to bring that down and suppress it. But yada means to extend the hands. And listen, I can't help but think about how Moses, think about this for a moment, the power. I don't fully understand these things, but I know when we're led by the Spirit 
and we do certain things, it's so powerful. Think about how Moses had his hands up like this, and Aaron and Hur had to hold him up. But the enemy down below, every, as long as he had his hands up, Joshua was whipping the enemy. Think about Moses as he stood before the Red Sea and said, God, help us. And God said, why are you crying out to me? Lift your hands up. Raise that rod up. The sea parted. Paul talked about lifting up holy hands. And there's something about that posture of worship to God. I don't fully understand why, but I do know that it is awesome, powerful. There's something about the lifting of the hands. Why do you think that so many religious places you go, there's a religious spirit over that place? How many of you have been somewhere, I have, where it feels really hard to worship? You feel really uncomfortable. And just to raise a hand, you feel like an idiot. You know, you're like, that is, listen, that is a demonic spirit that's over that church. That is a religious spirit. That right there should not be among God's people. There should be liberty to be scriptural in our worship. What I'm reading to you is scriptural, and I can prove it a lot. I'm just giving you a few scriptures, but it is scriptural to lift your hands. It is wrong that you would be in a place where you have to feel as a Christian that scriptural, biblical forms of worship is wrong, like it's oppressed. That's not right. Also, not only the lifting of hands, but the second word, shabach, which means to address with a loud tone. Did you know there's a lot of places out there, if you start getting loud, they're going to have a problem with it. But did you know that God likes loud praise? The shout. I think about the blast of the shofar. I think about the shout. Do you remember scriptural stories about the shout? Well, one that comes to mind, what about the walls of Jericho? That as they blasted the shofar, but as they lifted up a corporate shout, the walls came down and they defeated the enemy. So do you see how our priestly ministry of praise and worship is connected to victory in spiritual warfare? Moses' hands up, the victory was won. Jehoshaphat sent the praisers, the victory the people of God lifted up a shout, the walls of Jericho come down. There is a connection with praise and victory in war. Another one is zamar, which means to touch as in instruments, harps or strings. There's something so powerful about musical instruments in God's house, so powerful. And as people play the keyboard, as people strum the guitar, there's actually these scriptures indicate here strings. And the zamar has to do with touching as playing an instrument, the strings. There's a power in that. And then barach means to kneel or to bless. Did you know it's scriptural worship, scriptural worship and praise to get on your knees and kneel before the Lord? Just as counterfeit garbage like yoga has certain postures, there's scriptural, biblical ways of worshiping God that seem to draw his presence, that please him, and kneeling before him on your knees. Things like lifting hands, so powerful, powerful. And then also, taudah, which means to give thanksgiving with extended hands. There's something about being thankful. There's something about thanking God and praising him. One is the most common thing I've read in scripture in this respect. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His love endures forever. Giving thanks to him. There's something about thanksgiving. Now, I wanted to get to this, halal. The H-A-L-A-L, halal, is where we get the word hallelujah from, which seems to be all over the world. Every language out there, it seems like that word hallelujah has found its way in there among God's people. Have you noticed that? It's a common word all over the world in all languages, but halal is probably the most common word for praise. And it means this, to shine, to boast, to rave, to celebrate and be joyful, to give light, to be given in marriage, and to be clamorously foolish. <laughs> that means the dancing, the twirling, the jumping, that's halal. And let me tell you something. 
there's something about the dance that is extremely powerful. And a religious spirit will try, if people put up with it, a religious spirit will try to press down on somebody's life. Their hands begin to go down. Their feet stop moving. They get quiet. They used to be loud in their praise. They used to stand. Now they sit through it. And I understand some people can't stand the whole time. I know that. But they used to stand. Now they just sit. They used to be loud. Their hands were up. They clapped. They shouted. They danced. Something pressed down on them, and they lost their praise. Let me tell you, hear me tonight. There's something about the dance that is extremely powerful. What does the Bible say? Everywhere the soles of your feet tread, I'll give you victory. You know that whenever Joseph sent those praisers, you know that they were dancing and praising God as they were going, and the dance released. There's something about this. There's something, I'm, I'm trying to wrap my mind around all of this, and I, I think that I have some understanding. But let me tell you, when Jesus died on the cross, he took nails in his hands, blood came out of his hands. Did you know the Bible says where Jesus' blood came out of his hands, the Bible says that now we will lay hands in the sick and they'll recover, and that a really powerful form of praise and worship is the lifting of hands or the clapping of hands. There's something in the way of spiritual authority in our hands, but also in your feet. Jesus took nails in his feet, blood came out of his feet. Don't you think about when Jesus went to the Gadarenes and there was that demon-possessed man, the Bible says as soon as his foot touched the soil, that demon-possessed man jumped up and ran toward Jesus, shouting and screaming, what do you want with us, Jesus, son of the most high? And so something about the authority in Jesus' feet, that when Jesus' foot touched that soil, it, demons manifested. Everywhere the soles of your feet tread, I'll give you, there's something that's in our feet. And when people are jumping and they're dancing and they're praising God, even if for health reasons or whatever, you can't jump all the time, I understand that, but just lifting and putting the feet down and dancing before God, there's something about that that releases something in the spirit. There's a freedom. I remember years ago, I'd grown up in church and I'd all this religious stuff. God, <clears throat> for whatever reason, I thank God for this, but I never had a really strong religious spirit. When I got around revival, I'll tell you what happened. This is the first time it wasn't Brownsville. I was at a Bible school, and somebody had told me about this guy that come from Argentina. I didn't know anything about the Argentine revival. I certainly had never heard of Claudio Freitzen. I just simply went to a church service that the guys told me, hey, man, this is really good. So I go. And I'm there, and let me tell you, in that place, I had never been around him. But there was a revival atmosphere. The heavens were open. That place was electric. And thankfully, I was around groups of people that were more, um, they weren't white, okay? And so white people sometimes don't like dance. I don't know why. But I was around a group of people that loved to dance. And I remember I was just jumping and so free, and it was so liberating. I think it goes back to the British. If God forgive me, the British people. Hey, I got some British in my family history too, so... But I think it goes back to that form and proper stuff, you know. But other ethnicities are fine with dancing, but I'm telling you, there's a freedom. And I got in that revival atmosphere, and I remember dancing, and I remember those that were there dancing and twirling, and that, that place, because of the dance, there was an electric power of God surging through that place. It was awesome. It was freedom. And I'll give one more about that. One time I was going through one of the worst spiritual battles, and I was at this place in a particular conference, and I was there, and I was really, I, it was so bad what I was going through. It was just the grace of God that I was there. I was pressing into worship, and I remember that I didn't know who this person was, but there was this lady that broke loose in praise, and she was just really dancing and just praising God with all of her heart, and she was doing that, something was hitting me, the Holy Spirit was hitting me, and it was breaking off all this oppression. And I remember thinking, thank God for my sister over there, praising God and helping to break all this off me. It's been coming against me. It was severe. I was really going through it. And I went up to her afterward, and I said, man, I really appreciate your worship because it, it, 
warfare was clearing away. And she just smiled and said, you know, she said, I'm one of the ones that are here as an intercessor. And we were here to intercede for these meetings. And she said, the Holy Spirit told me to start dancing. That I was going to liberate. See, the dance, something broke in the dance. I'm telling you, there's something about it, but I, I really feel like I'm coming up against religious demonic things out there talking about this because Satan knows the power of the dance. He knows the power of lifting your hands. And look at this. The next one connected to halal, there's a few other words. Ruah means to shout, leap, and celebrate. Gil, which is G-I-Y-L, means to spin about. And takah means to clap as we're crushing. Did you know even in the Bible that whenever God's people were going to war, that the, the military forces began to clap and all these thousands of people doing it, it was meant to intimidate the enemy. It was like a roar, like a thunder, as all these thousands of people were clapping and shouting. It was like a roar going in there. There's something about this. And then also worship. And I'm, I'm closing with this. Worship. Worship is not just singing soft songs. A lot of people think, well, you know, we get... We have the praise, and then we move into these really intimate songs with the Lord, and we worship, and that's true. That is worship. But worship is much more than just that. It's not just singing slow songs. Worship is also a posture of your physical body. Let me show you. Shekha means, look at this, to prostrate yourself. Did you know that worship by you humbling yourself and getting on your face before God. Did you know that there's something there about that posture? I'm talking about you physically getting on your face. Not singing, but you're on your face before God. Did you know that that's a form of worship? It's the word, the worship, the word for worship here, shekha, means on your face. Pay homage, bow down. It's so powerful. And I see sometimes you intercessors, prayer warriors, probably really had no idea that that word shechah was even in the Bible, yet you felt by the Spirit to get on your face and intercede. You know what? You're not just interceding. Your posture is a worship before God. And I remember one time seeing this really precious video of Benny Hinn, such an anointed man of God, been through, again, religious spirits just raging against that anointing. He's had to put up with a lot of stuff. But I remember this particular crusade where the Holy Spirit was really moving. And here's Brother Benny up there. I mean, there's all these tens of thousands of people that are looking to his leadership. The Holy Spirit's moving. You know what he did? He got down on his face and was weeping. Everybody there just, you know, just began to do the same. People on the platform started getting on their face. Other people started weeping and praying and worshiping. But at that moment, he's like, forget the crowds, forget everything. I'm just getting on my face. He just got on his face and just wept before God. That's pure worship. And I saw that with Steve Hill one time at the Brownsville Revival. All these people there looking to his leadership, et cetera, all this going on, and he just got on his face. There's a picture. So you can still see it on the Internet. Somebody snapped a photo. Brother Steve in his suit, he's on his face before God. Powerful. And um, also... A word, atzab, A-T-S-A-B, atzab. This means to carve, fabricate, or fashion. Isn't it interesting that the arts, did you know that people can paint or they can take clay and mold and fashion? Did you know that there is a worship that can be in the arts? Isn't that awesome? And it's biblical. And then finally, sagid is a common word just to worship. So I want you to see that biblical praise and worship has to do with singing and shouting, being loud, has to do with clapping, lifting hands, dancing, spinning about. There is a freedom in this river of life. And let me just tell you, don't lose your freedom. Because there are religious spirits that want to oppress and maybe you used to be a lot more free in your worship, a lot more radical, but something. And let me tell you, a lot of times people go through some really serious warfare. They go through stuff. And then they come out of the warfare and they feel better. But truthfully, they're, they're not what they were before. Their prayer life isn't where it was. Their worship isn't where it was. 
they're just, the warfare is cleared away and they're just thankful. They're doing better, but they're not really back 100%. Let me encourage you to get back 100%. Because as you dance, let me tell you, did you know you can praise and worship God and dance and clap and shout? And who knows the type of warfare you're releasing? Let me tell you something. You may be breaking something off your lost loved ones to get saved. God really may be using your feet to break all that hell off them. Let me tell you, I remember Lila and them talking about this. That she hadn't shared this real publicly, but I saw a video where the, during the Brownsville revival, they were the intercessors. And they said before, you know, the revival was affecting the church, and then it began to affect people in the city some as they began to come. But she said by the leading of the Holy Spirit, they took a map of the nation and put it on the floor, huge map. And the intercessors, as they prayed, began to dance over different areas. They were shouting and dancing and praising over different areas. And as they did, they said that as they did that in intercession, that they noticed that those areas, that people started coming from those areas to the revival. You see, spiritual warfare, as they were dancing in those areas and calling them in, you know, they were praising God, calling them in. I think about things like the blast of the shofar. I may get into next week if God's willing. But the blast of the shofar and the shout. You remember whenever, there was sometimes when I feel led to do it. It's important to be led by the Spirit, okay? But when I felt led to do it and I tell everybody face toward the south and lift, we lift our hands to the south and we start taking authority and everybody's doing like this. You see, hands lifted. And then we blast the shofar and lift up a shout. I promise you that something is breaking when we do that. It's a mixture of praise and warfare. Ruth Ward Heflin wrote a book about praise and worship that was really big in the 90s revivals called Glory. And she said that a group of intercessors with her, they just, one night they felt led to do this. They began to dance and began to praise and worship God and they got really free and they knew that God was using it. There was a small group of Jews, they were in Israel doing this. There was a small group of Jews that when they were doing that, the Holy Spirit fell on them and they got saved. Isn't that awesome? It broke something, some religious thing, it broke it off them. So there is power in the dance. Don't let a religious spirit hinder your worship ever again. Make up your mind that no matter what, as God's leading me, and some say, well, you know, my health or my age or whatever, you can still lift those feet. You can still clap those hands. You can still lift up the best shout you got. Maybe it wasn't what you had in your 20s, but you still got a shout in there, okay? And just let God use you in praise and worship. And I promise you, it'll be so powerful. And there's a freedom here. I mean, our praise and worship here has always been real free. But Lord, we just thank you for this tonight. Lord, we want our weapons of war. He teaches my hands for war and my fingers to fight. Lord, we want to be among those that learn how to wage war in our lives for ourselves, for our families, and for the church and for our city. And Lord, as we dance, as we praise, there's an element of warfare released. And now that we know that, Lord, help us, we ask you to be free in our praise. And that we yield to the Holy Spirit that these various forms of spirit-led praise, Lord, will be a mighty weapon of war in your hand, Lord. That every time you smite the enemy with your rod of punishment, it will be to the sound of that praise. As your people are free in our praise, Lord. We thank you for it in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.